I'm Jeff Hakeem, founder of MCM Wealth. Welcome to our podcast today. We do these podcasts to advise families, business owners, and health professionals. Our approach is to build customized portfolios for each client while offering comprehensive financial planning services. Thank you for joining us today on this educational journey designed to protect your future. Hello, and welcome to the MCM Podcast. I'm Wendy McConnell. Today, we are going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions for business owners. And we'll be talking to Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. Hi, Jim. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. It's good to see you, Wendy. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. All right. So tell me about your background and business. Well, I'm happy to. It's actually a a very long story, so I'll try and make it kind of quick for you. I have had a very long business career. It started in nonprofits. Uh, I originally started raising money and fundraising for my alma mater. Then I moved over to health agencies where I fundraised. And I actually did fundraising in the White House for a period of time as well. After that experience, which was several years in length, I went on to the profit world, where I really did a lot of work in strategy, sales, and marketing, and kind of consider that basically my DNA. I've worked for Fortune 500 companies all the way down to startups. I've done, speaking of startups, I've done five different startups for companies. I've run two different consultancies, one crisis management and turnaround consultancy, and then my current business with C-Suite Advisors, uh, which is basically advising CEOs of middle market companies how to exceed their expectations and ultimately sell their businesses if that's what their desire is to do. Let's see, over the years, I've run 14 different companies, public and private as both the chairman and C and or CEO, more normally CEO than just chairman. Those have primarily been in the private equity space. And along the way, I've been the CEO of a number of nonprofits too. So I, I guess, Wendy, you could say I just can't keep a job. <laughs> I, I would not say that, Jim, not at all. Uh, so why do business owners hire C-suite advisors to help with selling their business? Well, C-Suite Advisors is a management consultancy. It's a boutique. We have clients all across North America. And what we do uh, specifically, it's a collective of very high-powered specialists who are CEOs of their own companies and are consultants. So they've been not only CEOs of other people's companies, but are consultants as well. And what we do is we work in the middle market, in my case, exclusively with CEOs, about accelerating the gains of their business and ultimately should they choose to do a transaction where they sell their business because most of our clients are privately held and at some point their founders wish to sell. So that's what we do. Why do they hire us? They hire us for a couple of very important reasons, at least in my mind they do. One, I've been in their shoes many, many times bought and sold 15, 16 different companies, predominantly sold. I have more sell side than buy side, um, but done a lot of the buy side too. Secondly, in working with me or our company, we have no vested interest in the outcome. So we are unbiased in terms of the counsel we provide them. 
lack of a vested interest is not often what you would find in an acquisition or a merger situation. Normally, you're working with people, advisors, specialists who help you get the ball over the finish line for their own benefit. That's not our case. So we are unbiased in a way. We also help them set their expectations. Uh, A huge number of CEOs who wish to sell their business get off that track after they get early feedback about the value of their business and what their uh, selling price could actually pull from the market. So we help set their expectations. We help them make better choices and frankly, get through the experience as painlessly as possible because it is a painful process most of the time. Oh, no, we don't like that. What other service providers do business owners normally need to complete a sale transaction? Well, it depends in many respects on the size of the organization that is being sold. But generally speaking, they would need either an investment banker or a broker. And that's their seller, if you will, the person who coordinates finding the prospects and making the pitches along with the CEO and the management team to those prospects to sell the business. Uh, Normally, a broker is used for a smaller company and an investment banker is used for a larger company. They both have pros and cons, but a lot of times the CEO who is selling is locked into one or the other because of the size of their revenues, their profitability, and their EBITDA, which stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. I won't bore you with all that, but it is a very important way. I'm not really (laughs) sure what it means, but I have definitely heard that word before. (laughs) Okay. It is confusing. It is the way most companies evaluate the value of the companies that they're looking at. So number one, a broker or investment banker. Number two, a good M&A attorney. It's not your regular uh, run-of-the-mill attorney. The best deals are carved by the attorneys who have a great deal of experience in merger and acquisition work. They're sometimes more expensive, as you would imagine, than your mom and pop attorney down the street that maybe has been advising you for years, but they certainly are worth their price. And finally, you'll need a very capable CPA, whether it's internal or external, to deal with all the tax consequences and issues that you as a business owner uh, need to be fully informed and aware of. You need counsel in that area, unless you are a CPA and really understand it at the front end. And then there are those selling or those who wish to sell their business who also choose to engage a person like me and and my firm to help them get through. I describe it as a puzzle. The puzzle of a merger and acquisition transaction is complicated. And uh, most founders do not have experience in it. And they are highly benefited, at least from my client's feedback, they're highly benefited from having that unbiased advisor help them work through the puzzle of merger and acquisitions. Where do you go about finding a good M&A lawyer? Like, is there a particular type of firm that you have to reach out to? Like, you don't look them up in the, you know, Google pages saying M&A lawyer. Yeah, well, you you actually can. Uh, You can look up on the internet, uh, merger and acquisition lawyers. Most times, uh, if if you're as a business owner, a subscriber to the business times in your local community, uh, often those business times have lists and the lists happen to have law firms and merger and acquisition attorneys. Also, the giant firms always have them. 
Uh, but sometimes if you're a small company, you're better off working not with a giant, you know, very, very, very expensive firm that has a lot of overhead to cover, but a smaller specialist. Uh, and it's good to find an M&A attorney who has some experience in your industry, if that's possible. Hmm. So normally you would interview a number of M&A attorneys to try and find the right fit, as well as pricing that can work within your uh, budget. Right. That was a good tip. Yeah. Speaking sure that- of budget, I should mention that very few business owners and small companies who wish to sell have uh, a clarity around what is it going to cost. It's an expensive proposition. It takes enormous amounts of energy from the business owner in addition to his executive team, mainly finance. And so the costs are are from a number of different areas that uh, a lot of owners just don't expect. And that's one of the reasons why I would encourage business owners to do their homework before they make a commitment to to try and sell their business. So when a business owner wants to sell the business, what do you suggest he or she do in prepping the business and the management team for the sales process? Oh, that's a really good question. And that's, in many respects, the lion's share of the work I do. My work at C-Suite Advisors is to create accretive profitability or greater profitability on an ever-accelerating scale. But to specifically answer your question, they should do their homework before they make any commitment whatsoever. And the homework includes having a clarity around what drives value in your business and what depresses value in your business. And once you understand what's going to add to the price tag versus detract from the price tag, you obviously want to do more on the ad side and do less on the depressed side. And that includes getting a really clear sense on the value ranges of a business like yours that is doing what you do in an industry that is well-known. If it's not a well-known industry, it's a little more difficult to determine a valuation. But for just about any business out there, there are tools an owner can go to to get clarity around what might my business sell for. So if you are in a business that sells at X, but you're a leader in that business, you're going to get X plus. If you're not a leader in that business, you're going to get X minus. So all we're looking for is a range of value that you as an owner can live with. Many, many, many times I've seen deals fall through, which could have worked, but the owner had false sense of his value or her value in the company they're trying to sell. So what normally happens, unfortunately, far more often than you'd like and I'd like to see is business owners may explore, they'll stick their toe in, they're ready to sell, it's time, uh, you know, their life is ready to take the money and run, if you will, or retire. And they, they withdraw, put more energy into fixing what adds value and decreasing what depresses value. Maybe that'll take a year, two or three years, but the difference in the selling price and what the owner takes out of the business can be materially greater and certainly worth the energy and time. So to get a a value uh, range, which is not easy, I should say, most kind of are confused how you do that. There are lots of different sources. You can go on the internet, you can look up your industry, you can find different sources. Uh, You can go back to the business times, which often do that. There are a number of private equity oriented websites that you can go on and look at and see what their value ranges are for industries like your own to get some sense of their what's called a multiple. 
Typically, it's the multiple of your EBITDA, that word we came back to earlier, yeah. that acronym. You can uh, talk to bankers, your banker. You can talk to your accountant. Uh, you should be talking to business brokers uh, about you know what might the value be. And frankly, they are vested. So they're going to be in favor of selling it for as much as they can, but selling it. So they may not be as aggressive as you as a business owner on setting the price because they want to turn it over quickly so they can go on to another gig, right? So you need to be informed of what is the game I'm stepping into? How do I win in this game versus being uh, a person that doesn't benefit by that knowledge? The things that help improve, if I can extend the answer just a little bit more, things that help improve the value of a company when it's time to sell are very important to understand. And they would include things like a trend line of revenue growth and profitability growth. That's very, very important. If your company is in a tailspin and going down, it ain't the time to sell. So you really want to get maximum value by hitting on the high, not on the low. Also, having financial reviews is very important. A lot of times the owners may not realize they need them. They have an internal CPA or director or controller uh, or accountant that does the work. And normally that's not enough. Uh, you do not necessarily in a small business need an audit for three or four years, but you generally do need a financial review by a third party, reputable CPA or accounting firm. Another thing that will add value is a good succession plan. You have plans for people to take over the business and run the people when you depart, assuming you would retire or, or want to move out of that. Uh, having rational expectations on value, uh, as well as the process is important. And doing your own due diligence on the types of brokers or investment bankers that may be well-suited to you is also an important step. So that you get a really, really good match because a good match will lead to a better outcome than a bad match. Uh, and finally, I'd say uh, another thing that can make a lot of difference is really lining up a good advisory team to help you through the process to also add to your business credibility and your credibility by having experienced people in your wings, wingmen, if you will, to help your business succeed in the current tense and then after a sale can also be very helpful. How would you advise a business owner in getting to a realistic sales price? Because you mentioned that most people have an unrealistic expectation at first. Yeah, many do. That's so true. And it, it's all based on going back to the homework I talked about before. It's not really necessary to have a fixed value in your mind. And you really probably shouldn't because you want to give the selling agent, either the broker or the banker, flexibility in working with you. And as they do their own diligence on your firm, they will help you maximize the value. They do that in a number of different ways. One is to normalize the EBITDA. Now, that's another weird phrase. But for a business owner, often they will pay themselves more than the open market would pay them. They will have tax benefits for having fancy cars or an airplane or different things like that that are very expensive that they may not, that a buyer would not want to pay for. So what you do is you have your CPA normal and your banker too normalize that EBITDA, which in essence raises it 
that increases the odds that a person will pay more for your business than if they saw your balance sheet and income statement in its original form, the way you're currently using it. A personal, a private, a solo, or even a team business owner looks for ways to maximize their take out of their businesses typically. And so you don't want to be penalized for the work that you are intended to do and should be doing as a private business owner. But you want to make it as attractive as possible to someone who would want to buy it. Then it's their decision. If it's a single person that's buying it, then it's their decision whether or not they want to take advantage of those taxes or get a fancy car. But you don't want to position it when you're selling your company that way. Yeah, I understand. How often do entrepreneurs actually start a sales process and then quit? Like what causes that? You know, it it does happen more often than anyone would imagine. Brokers and and uh, financial analysts and as well as CPAs and investment bankers all see that more often than you'd expect. And why it happens is more than anything, their expectations are unrealistic. They have a view. This is my baby. I put my heart and soul into it. I've grown it over years. You have no idea what I've sacrificed to get to this point. I want to be paid for all that all that labor and energy and love that I've given to my company. And the fact is the open market does not respect nor frankly value that. They respect where you are at a moment in time as it relates to their ability to take what you've built and grow it from there. Very rarely does somebody want to buy a company for any price tag and just see it exist. They want to see it grow. They want to see it add value to their own portfolio. And so unrealistic expectations is probably the number one reason why they would back away. The second reason would be lack of preparedness to sell. Some of the things I talked about earlier about finances, trend lines, profitability, all those kinds of things, being among the best in your industry and class, all those things, if you're not in those positions, if you can't change to get in those positions, then you might as well sell but you're going to just get a lower price tag. The last two things I would say include uh, a cost anxiety where they get into it and they say, oh my gosh, this is really, I got to hire lawyers. I got to hire CPAs. I got to have a broker. All of them are going to take a piece of the pie. I'm not used to that. I run my business frugally and that scares the dickens out of me. And the number one thing that kills deals overall is time. It's very difficult to do a deal quickly. It takes a lot of time and owners get just, they pull their hair out. I I have one of the deals we did, which was a pretty massive deal, a $60 million deal, and it was done in 30 days. But that's just unheard of, just absolutely unheard of. We bought a company in 30 days, Uh, but normally it can take 60, 90 or even more days in order to get a deal done. So time kills more deals than anything else. Okay. How are conversations different with a business owner looking to sell to management versus selling to an outside firm? Oh, that's a great question. You know, when you're selling to management within the firm, unlike selling to either a financial or a strategic buyer, you have to consider the people in the firm more than ever before. You need to adapt to their wishes, wants, and capacities, financial capacities mainly, Uh, in order to attract them. If it's your C-suite that you want to sell to, there are, incidentally, there are a number of ways you can sell to management. I mean, the most notable way is an ESOP. 
where you sell parts of your business over time and then you exit the business. Uh, there's stock purchase plans, there are incentive stock option plans that can all take a longer time to sell the business. There's a lump sum sale opportunity where the buyer would go to an SBA loan or get different loans for the business in order to buy it. All these different ways are possible. But the difference between an outside buyer and internal buyers is taking care of the needs of the management team, answering their questions, helping them prepare for the transaction, giving them confidence that you will be around as an advisor potentially to help them get through the inevitable challenges that businesses face. Those are all very, very important. If you're selling to an outside firm, depending on who you'd be selling to, whether it's a financial firm a financial acquisition or a strategic acquisition, those would be very different than selling to a management team internally. Financial buyers are, are groups like private equity firms that are buying you for a three to five year term, and they want to sell it at the end of that time for X amount of dollars. They buy you for Y, they want to sell you for X, or put it a different way, they buy you for X and sell you for Y. And they <laughs> want to see gain and accretion in your revenues and profitability. And they'll do anything to make sure that happens. A strategic buyer is typically an organization within your industry. And they buy you to take a competitor out of the field, to buy your customer list, to add accretive profitability to their own. You're more profitable than they are, so you help them by buying them, help their top line. It could be any number of reasons. But there's vast differences between selling to an outsider and selling to an insider. It's a great question. What would you say are the essentials a business owner must have in negotiating the sales price and the terms? Gosh, you got a good set of questions here. That, that's well, another good you. one. Yeah, it's another really good one. What would really allow them to get the best price and terms are would include a long list. First, as we've said so many times here, I have a reasonable expectation of value. Number one. Number two would be clean, reliable financials that have been reviewed and, and signed off on by a third party. Those are normally a three-year look that a buyer would like to have. Uh, and as I mentioned, normally you don't have to have an audit, which is quite expensive. A review is about a third of the price of an audit, generally in my own experience. So, so it's a lesser way to go, but it is something that's important. Plus, you need a good CPA, which is either in your organization or it could be your accountant, but you really need a solid CPA. And the reason is that that's the person that's going to be in charge of what's called a data room. And you will be asked if you find prospects that are really interested in moving forward on this. Uh, that's se having separated the wheat from the shaft, if you will. These are really serious uh, buyers. You're going to have to build a data room, which includes everything in the kitchen sink about your past performance, your policy procedures, litigation history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's mind boggling. And that's where a banker or broker can be very helpful. But you need a good CPA to manage that process. And obviously, you need a good M&A attorney along the way. And maybe even an advisor, you know, to help, like we've been talking about C-suite. But those are some of the things that would help you. The M&A attorney normally would be the one that would help you for the best terms. But an advisor could too. 
and looking over page after page after page of documentation takes enormous energy so and time. So having somebody help you through the legalese of the documents is very important as well. What internal resources are mandatory to be on the deal team? On the deal team. Okay. That, so if you're a seller and you are the CEO of the organization that is going to be sold, first off, you, you have to be cooperative, energized, excited, and capable of telling the story better than anybody else. So you are the number one asset of the deal team. Beyond that, you really need a strong financial person or lead who can take charge of the data room like we talked about and can also speak to the numbers. A lot of times, the founders of small or mid-sized businesses are not the numbers guys. But if they are surrounded by really, really solid numbers people, they'll get through the process with these. If they're not, it's going to be challenging. Because a buyer typically is very consumed with the numbers, your financial statements, your cash flow. Uh, they want to understand all that. So you really need a very strong financial lead. And second or third, I guess, you need an impressive C-suite of executives who can talk really fluently about the business, proudly about the business and the company, as well as proudly and with confidence about their own functions, where they headed. Why are they where they are? How are we going to make it even better? So those on the internal side are really the deal. That's the deal team. And it comes down to another question that is kind of interesting. And that is, well, when do you talk to your team about your ambitions to sell your company? Really an interesting one, because normally I would advise a CEO to not talk with anybody, maybe with the exception of their finance person, their top finance person, about their ambitions to sell in a certain timeline. Because the history, as I mentioned, has a lot of founders that talk, get into it and then pull back from it and do it downstream when they're more prepared for a better value. So you don't want to destabilize your team prematurely because when you talk about selling your company, it will destabilize your team. And you need to be really clear on what it means to them, their part and role, how it will not or maybe would lead to their departure from the company. What are you going to do to help them if that's the case? Uh, you know, you really need to think psychodynamically about where they're coming from. What are their fears? There, there's an old expression, think like a fish. Uh, when you're going fishing, how do you catch fish? Well, you think like a fish. Well, in the case of this, think like a buyer. Or in this case, a seller. Think like your people. How will they react to this idea and how are you going to prepare them for it so they are, in fact, proudly enthusiastic about the company and helping you sell it for the greatest value? A lot of times, CEOs will have uh, sale bonuses where they will pay their C-suite, those people who are doing the lion's share of the work, in addition to the CEO, will pay them a bonus for helping them get through the process. And the higher the sale price, the more they earn. It's a good way to put in place some assurances that your team's on board. Is there one thing that pushes deals across the finish line to closing? You know, it's really all of the things we talked about. I, I don't know that it's just one thing. But if there was one thing, or maybe two things, I would describe it as a solid committed team that keeps their eye on the prize. 
and once the prize, just like I spoke about. They keep their eye on the prize and they're not derailed by the inevitable hurdles that come up along the way. There are just lots of things. As an example, the finance person will be taken out of their day. Almost everybody's taken out of their day-to-day job. And one of the things that really scare business owners is, oh my gosh, nobody's doing the real work we get paid for. What's happening here? And the longer sale process takes, the more the distraction that prevents them, their functional talented specialists from doing the jobs they must. So you've got to have a solid team that's committed to it and does not get excessively distracted. They will be distracted, but they can't be excessively distracted. They have to keep it all in balance as their life needs to stay in balance as they go through the process as well. That would, I guess, be the number one thing that would make the biggest difference in getting through it as painlessly as possible. And I don't want to say in all cases, I mean, you put, it's kind of like childbirth. You go through the pain of being pregnant and having a child for the joys of having a baby and watching them grow and seeing your namesake move on to the wonderful years ahead. It's hard to believe being a man that I would say it that way, but I do see that selling a company is sort of like childbirth because it's difficult. It's hard. It takes a lot of energy and patience, and yet the end result can be so worth the energy. We'll have to ask some women if they agree with that statement. (laughs) Yes, we will. (laughs) Tim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome, Wendy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a blast. And thank you for listening. Please like, follow, and share this podcast. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. This is Jeff Hakeem again. Thank you for listening to this episode of our MCM Wealth Podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified of new episodes as they become available. Also, please visit our website at www.mcmwealth.com or call me on my direct line at 415-299-6574 so you and I can have an initial discussion. We look forward to learning about you.